Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of The Knock-On, brought to you by our good friends at Zero Tackle. Dan, it's really good to see you, mate. Here we've got a big interview on the cards tonight. Look, we certainly do, with a certain author of a certain book that may have released last week. Uh, spoiler alert, pretty good. Pretty wow. good. If you do say so yourself here, Dan got the, Dan got the interview with a very, very special guest and we can't wait to bring it to you this week. Now, Terry, after a fantastic week of Rugby League, we picked out the three biggest talking points. Again, we're going to try and limit this because we could talk all night because we mm-hmm. love our Rugby League. But everything I've heard this week has been about those dastardly referees and officials, Terry. But you and I, instead of being here coming on here and complaining like the common man, we're here to fix the issue. Now, I, you floated something in previous episodes of our show, Rugby League Outlaws. Mate, yeah. how can we fix the bunker? Just just fix it. Yeah, I mean, there's there's so many ways that you could fix the bunker. Um, but I think, you know, having it centralised, it's literally called a bunker. Just have it at a, at a central location. I know people are saying, oh, you need it at the game. And it, what for? What do you need it at the game for? Like you and I are doing this podcast right now. There's a thing called the internet, Wi-Fi, all these different things. And people are going, oh, what about technology? Okay, if the technology breaks mm-hmm. down... What are they going to do? Are they going to run out of the bunker and run onto the field and whisper it in the referee's ear? Like, no, it's it not what happens. You've got backup plans for this. So I think you need to centralise the bunker. And I really like the idea that you floated on Twitter this week about having uh, one person do every game. Now, I'm not, I'm not up for one person. I think it needs to be a majority rules. I think you need to have three people in that bunker. And it's just, you know... You just go for it. It's it's two versus one. Now, some of these decisions that, you know, are coming back, like the Clint Gutherson, he didn't strip the ball, and then Clint Gutherson coming out saying my fingers are bent. That's a strip all day long. How did you get that wrong? How like how how do you look at that and go, no, he didn't strip the ball. He's just trying to make an attempt to tackle. No, he wasn't. He knew exactly what he was doing. And he played a game. He, he took a gamble that you were going to get it wrong, and you got it wrong. And then your referee's boss comes out and says you got it wrong. What's the repercussions for that, by the way? There are none. He's got another game this weekend. Yeah. yeah. He didn't get dropped. He didn't get sacked. He didn't get stood down. Honestly, he didn't turn around and say, look, because that was so bad that we need to do more training. He just turned around and said, oh, well, I got it wrong. And the Dragons have now got to cop that on the chin like the Tigers had to last year, like every other team that's been done it this year. Completely fair, Terry. I think officials. And you can't, you know, again, someone rebutted to you saying you can't have three officials do three games on a Saturday. Why? That's a day's work. I go to work for nine hours a day. Exactly you tell, right. If someone offered me that on a Saturday, turn around and said, you can go and watch footy for six hours, get paid for it and make decisions on the fly. I do it at home. I yell at the TV on the couch. You make the decisions. I make, go, go back quickly before we move on to that, that idea I floated. You, you hit the nail on the head. It's, you know, Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday, albeit a full day, and Sunday – a relatively large shift. That's four days. We all work five days. Now, of course, it's not just going to be sitting in the bunker. It's going to be extra stuff. But I dare you to come back to me and say that they can't do that in a 40-hour work week like everyone else does. Now, people were saying fatigue, fatigue, fatigue. We watch every game. I haven't missed a rugby league game. I haven't missed an NRLW game. I watch Super League when I can because I love it. Find people that love it and can make good decisions. Now, another person was quick to say, oh, what if someone gets sick? That's why you've got two or three people. You pick the best one, you pick the second best, you pick the third. 
And if they also are the, you know, the second or third best referee, too bad you're the best bunker, that's your role. How many things do you have to do at work where people go, well, Dan's good at this, but he's not good at this, and you do that because you do what's best for the role? It's so easy. I don't want the re- I, but see, I don't want our referees in the bunker. I don't want. I want independent people because bunker. because the referees all make different decisions. Everyone has different interpretations. Like Todd Smith's interpretation of the game is going to be different to Ashley Klein's. They're going to be different to the Sutton brothers, who are going to be completely different to Chris Butler. They're going to be different to Adam G and Peter Goff. So I don't want them. I want you to go out and get, you know, six people. And then the, the three best available, the ones who take to the training the best, they're the ones in the bunker for the weekend. And your fourth, fifth, and sixth people are on standby. And you're telling me that these just can't be paid people to, to go and do the job. People, people who understand rugby league, it's, you know, just get them in. Seems so simple, mate. But uh, look, moving on, what isn't simple is the Brisbane Broncos' attempts to re-sign their superstar forward, Payne Haas. Now, just this week, it's come out again for the probably 50th time. He's not going to re-sign for Brisbane. He's going to test his market, blah, blah, blah. He's come out this week and said he's looking to Sonny Bill Williams for advice, which, you know, is probably right up there in the terms of things you probably shouldn't say out loud when you talk about money, considering this. But anyways, we all know what Sonny Bill did. I love the bloke. But he's come out recently and said it's not about money. It's about winning titles. Brisbane sit equal first with Penrith. Mm-hmm. and present the best chance outside Penrith to win a title, especially when you're looking at the next few years. Because, oh, you know, they're losing Herbie Farnworth. I know they're losing some players. Well, it's not just Herbie Farnworth, is it? Well, Flegler, potential yeah, and lost, yeah, and they've lost uh, they've lost another guy of the Gold Coast Titans. Uh, and a lot of their fringe players are signing elsewhere. So I think Haas may be looking at that this is this year's his best year with Brisbane. Where are the next couple of years going to present the best opportunity for him to win premierships? Now the answer to that is Penrith. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the answer to that quickly is Penrith. I think if he's coming down to Sydney, he's solely doing it for a cash grab because there are a lot of cashed up Sydney teams at the moment who are moving players on, moving pieces around to try and have a shot at a Tino or a Haas if they actually do have come off contract. Or, you know, Joe Tarpany gets his unrest again. Or Luke Thompson finds, you know, form and doesn't get hurt. So I think if he's coming to Sydney, he may say that it's not about money, but it's about money. Every time he he comes off contract at Brisbane, he always says, oh, it's not about the money, it's not about the money. And then you see Payne Haas re-signs and gets his contract upgraded. Yeah, it's about Genius. Don't, don't, don't lie to anyone. Don't lie to us, Payne, and don't lie to yourself. It's all good. Do what you do. Chase the bag. You only play for so long. Now, um... Look, speaking of, of coming to an end of your career, a club legend of the Cronulla Sutherland Sharks, you know, may have played elsewhere, don't care. He's a Cronulla legend. And Wade Graham announced his retirement uh, a couple of nights ago by the time this uh, this tracks. Now, obviously, we're big Sharks fans, so I want to preface that. But uh, Wade Graham, mate, what's he what's he standing in the game to you? And uh, is it time? It's time. And you can see that. he, he sings, Ever since he did his ACL in the semifinal against the Roosters, um he hasn't come back the same player. And, you know, as someone who's had an ACL injury before, but I was a lot younger than Wade Graham when I did it, I know how hard it is to come back. Um, I think uh, he's standing in the game. He should be remembered as one of the best second rowers of the current era. Um, at one point there, he was the best left-edge second rower in the game. And I know Boyd Corden was the state captain, but it doesn't matter. Wade Graham was better than him. He was the best kicking back row you've ever seen, and his defense was just devastating. 
he could, you know, Cronulla could look to him to really change a game. And these days you turn around and go, what are your spine players going to do? How are they going to win you the game? No, Cronulla used to turn around and go, you know, if Maloney's off, we're going to throw the ball to Wakeland. So he is a legend of Cronulla. Um, he's a legend of the game as well. He's won Origin Series. He's won Premierships. He's won Four Nations World Tours Cup. and he's won a World Cup. So not many players can can have a resume like that. Um, you know, you never want them to come to an end, but he's the last standing survivor of the 2016 Premiership winning team and that just seems so long ago now. So, um, you yeah, know, it was good that the club did a, a night for him. Um, he gets to go out on his own terms and he should be applauded. Never never been in trouble off the field. Uh, Sands, a, a little quote that gets thrown around every now and then about Asada. Role model of the game. Clean skin, absolute great player. Absolutely great, Matt. I put a tweet out earlier and usually people just argue because, you know, it's out there. It's opinion. Someone's going to argue. Universally loved Wade Graham. Like, just, yeah. just a player on and off the field that you can look to. And, I mean, this is a bloke who was young and probably, you know, made some some silly decisions. Show me football. Show me anyone who hasn't. If this is a bloke who's learned from those and now is a leader in the game. And, I mean, look, I, I think maybe one a year too long, if I'm being totally yeah. brutally honest. But, I mean, he played his best game against Seattle the other night for two, three years, which shows he's not done yet. And for him to go out, as you said, on your own terms, in front of everyone, like his loved ones, family, friends, you know, it's it's what he deserves. Now, hopefully Cronulla can get into the finals and give him a big – a home final would be a fitting farewell for Wade Graham because, as you said, this is the last remaining person, you know, superstar of the 2016 era. You think back then, you think about culture-changing signings, though. Wade Graham and Luke Lewis are the two that stand out to me. And, I mean, I could talk for Wade Gra- about Wade Graham for so long. Don't let the last year fool you. He has been under par. Father time's undefeated, but if anyone was ever going to beat it, it's Wade Graham. So, mate, I'm I'm happy that he chose to retire at Cronulla rather than go to Catalan. So I wouldn't have begrudged him by any stretch, yeah. but yeah, he's I a think- legend and we can see him out, uh, not yeah. if not this Friday, in a couple of weeks against the Raiders. Yeah, everyone, everyone said that, you know, you should have taken that bag and gone overseas and gone to the Super League. No, you hear him talk about his studies that he's doing now. He's doing his coaching and he joked about it and said, I wonder if Benji will take me under his wing. I hope not. I hope Cronulla have the the foresight to take him under the wing because he's doing that coaching course now. You can't lose a player like Wade Graham around the club. Like, we've still got Gallon. You still see the photos of Luke Lewis down there every now and then. Mick Innes is on the, you know, the, the, the coaching staff there as well. We can't afford to lose him one at Cronulla and two to the game. So I'm, I'm glad he's staying. Now, Dan, we, we spoke about it in the introduction, but you've landed a big interview this week and you said about a book that was released last week and that book is Jack Gibson's Fur Coat by Glenn Humphreys and you got uh, the opportunity to sit down one-on-one with Glenn Humphreys. What an opportunity that was. Tell, tell me all about it before we get into the interview. Mate, it's fantastic without any spoilers. Got a few laughs out of him. He got a few out of me too. This guy is charismatic plus. I'm really looking forward to this book. But uh, look, if you, if you could throw, mate, here we go. Over to you, Dan. Thanks so much, Terry. Now, I'm sitting here tonight joined by someone who's who's used to be on the other side of this. So we'll see how this goes. we got one journo over here and then me. But, mate, I'm joined now by the author of Jack Gibson's Fur Coat, Glenn Humphreys, mate, thank you so much for coming on. Can you just start by letting us know a little bit about the book without giving too much away, what we can expect when we pick it up next week? 
Um, it well, it's a book about I guess rugby league stories that have largely fallen through the cracks. Um, while there are some obviously big ones like the I guess Sattler's Jaw, um, and the like, uh, I still try and take a different slant with those. But a lot of the other ones, you know, there'll be like drunk footballers. There'll be the first night footy game in the nineteen twenties. There'll be, you know, women's football being played for a hundred years. Just a whole lot of stories that have had sort of, like I said, has fallen through the cracks that people won't have heard about. I guess the aim for me was always, no matter how much of a fan you are, if there's at least one story there you've never heard about, you know, my my goal has been reached. That's fantastic. Now, I'm a pretty big rugby league fan, as you can tell by behind me. This is pretty much all around my house, unashamedly. Jack Gibson's coat, fur coat. What what was it that was so iconic about that for people like I'm in I'm in my thirties mid mid thirties we'll go with mid thirties so younger viewers may not know who Jack Gibson is or the origin of the fur coat what was it that's so iconic that that was what was on the cover and in the title? Um, well, I got the title. It's uh, my brother is I can give him credit for that. I was going to do a rugby league blog, needed a title, uh, and he straight away suggested you know, Jack Gibson's fur coat. And while the blog never actually happened, I just thought that title is too good to go to waste. I'm just going to put that in my back pocket and hopefully something will come up where I can use it somewhere. And it ended up um, being able to be used for this book. And I guess the idea behind it was if you kind of understand the reference to Jack Gibson's fur coat, then this book is for you. You'll understand it's about the, the little bits, little stories about rugby league. It's not about the you know, the heroes or the big games or anything. It's about all the, the little quirky, unusual stories. And in terms of, yep. Sorry. I was saying in terms of Gibson himself, that fur coat, you know, it stems from the 1983 uh, grand final when he's coaching Parramatta and he's sitting in the stands with it on. He's you know, getting photos taken with all sorts of dignitaries after the game, including Bob Hawke, prime minister at the time. Um, and it's just, it's just it just boggles your mind even now to look at that coat that someone would wear such a I don't think outlandish is too strong a word to use in terms of the the way it looks, um, but it just became this just thing of difference. And obviously Jack Gibson was, I guess, one of those rugby league characters who you know would could say all the quotable things and could even you know, would turn up on um, commentary after he'd retired and would actually be able to throw out, you know, little deadpan one-liners that basically um, described everything quite succinctly. Like, well, the one the one Cronulla fans are most, you know, the monkey's off the back now, so I can say it in jest, but it, for a long time it stood over us that waiting for Cronulla to win a premiership was like waiting for Harold Holt to come back. I mean, Paul Gallen referenced it as the last thing in his, his speech. I mean, this is a bloke who, you know, transcends and uh for, for the younger viewers as a coach do you liken him to anyone today just so people can go back and look into it or is he just one of a kind uh well, I, I think he was, he's probably one of a kind um probably the closest you could get obviously is wayne bennett in terms of success but uh, i guess really gibson had success with a number of different clubs um even if they didn't win premierships like he brought I think I'm a Dragons fan. I think it was in 71 he brought the Dragons into the grand final um, when, you know, no one else might have thought it would happen. I mean, 
He obviously didn't work his magic with Cronulla when he was over there for a while. Um, though I think I've heard stories that I got my uncle was used to work with the Dragons and played for them back in the day. And he, I remember this story he told me he when he was working with the Steelers, they went to Endeavour Field and they found out they got into the stadium, the grandstand, into the locker room under the grandstand and found the walls had all been painted pink. And that was Jack Gibson's idea. It's one of those things he brought back from the US that you paint the visitors' change room in soft, gentle colours to try and sort of psych them out before they even got on the field. And whether it works for everyone, I don't know, but it certainly worked that day because the Steelers didn't beat Cronulla. I'll take it. Let's put that. <laughs> Fantastic. Sounds like we need all the help we could get back there, unfortunately. Um, without giving too much away, because, you know, there, there might be another book. Hopefully there is. Any stories that almost made the cut but just missed out? Uh, not at this stage. It was a matter of um, I just started with I knew there was a couple of stories I knew about, like the one that everyone talks about was uh, Bobby Lullum and his, you know, what happened, He getting him getting accidentally poisoned. I knew about that, knew about a few of the others. And so I just thought if I need to find enough other stories and there might be a book, then I can sort of hang it all on. So I was just basically looking for enough stories to make that book. And then I'd sort of stopped at that point. But, um, you know, certainly doing these interviews since people have been saying, uh, either you've forgotten this story or you didn't do that one or what about that one? So there's already... You know, I'm collecting stories in the background in case, you know, if this book sells well, there might be a call for a sequel. So, you know, stuff like um, one example would be, you know, when Steve Roach was suspended for the grand final and he tried to do that, you know, shonky thing of going over to England and play three games and serve his suspension over there and come back in time for the grand final. You know, those sort of stories that people probably forget, but then when you talk, tell them about it, go, oh, yeah, I sort of remember something about that happening. Yeah, so that yeah. may well be in the second book if it comes out. That's crazy. That I mean, we saw Ben Barber try that. So there, there's a story there, plenty of other stories, I'm sure, from that shark celebration. The one that stood out for me, though, Murder and the Mother-in-Law, again, without giving too much weight, we want people to go out and buy the book to read it. Just give us a quick snapshot, please, because, um, yeah, little bit, uh, a little bit. Mm. Um, yeah, I think it's one of those stories where people think, if people think football players sort of get up to sort of hijinks and stupid things, dangerous things these days, I don't think any of them have got a patch on Bobby Lullum in the late 50s, early 60s, where he felt he didn't feel well after a game, sort of felt heavy in the legs. Day or so later, he collapses at work and goes home, and the doctors end up finding out that he's been poisoned um, with rat poison, which was a um, a method in that era that a lot of people were using to get rid of those they didn't want around anymore. I guess for various reasons, you know, women who found their partners were cheating on them, men who wanted to get rid of um, people they didn't like that, and all of that sort of thing. Uh, and then it sort of got worse because. When they arrested the culprit, it turned out to be his mother-in-law. And then it got worse again because it found out they found out that he and his mother-in-law were perhaps being a little bit more intimate than one would expect. <laughs> That's, mate, rugby league, huh? Rugby league. 
were there any stories that have become rugby league folklore that you looked into and weren't true or anything that people go, you remember when this happened, you're like, actually, it went this way, whether in the book or, or you've picked up along the way? Um, I guess one that sort of fits along those lines would be the John Sattler's jaw. Um, I think like a lot of people I'd seen that, you know, five or six second piece of colour footage where he gets whacked in the jaw with the elbow. Um but I'd never actually sat down and watched the whole game. So I didn't have that broader context of where it fit into the game. And so firstly, I was surprised watching that is that it literally comes out of the blue. When I was watching the game, I had to rewind it because I'd noticed the thing, had, the incident had happened before I realised because I know I just sort of grown up expecting there had to be some biff or something beforehand to justify that level of brutality. But there wasn't. There was nothing that prompted it. It just comes, you know, completely out of the blue. And you know, something else I hadn't realised was that um, John Buckdon and John Sattler are opposing props. And this incident happens very early in the game. So that means every time a scrum happens, um, the attacker and the victim are facing off against each other, packing down face to face. And, every, and it probably doesn't work well for Bucknell because every single time after that, Sattler takes it as a chance to, you know, have a get square, put him in a headlock, drag him to the ground or what have you. And so that those were the sort of things that you hear the, you hear the legend, the story of, you know, he had a broken jaw and he played most of the game. It's absolutely true. But when you watch the whole game, you actually get a greater appreciation and a greater understanding of both what he did and how the what the whole narrative of it was. Like, I didn't know, for instance, either that Bucknell actually was the one that went off hurt in the second half because not only was Sattler going after him, pretty much everyone in the South Sydney team was, you know, putting him through a circus of pain and he had to leave the field. And amazingly, he never got suspended for it either. Different you're off for it. Yeah, you're off for a year if you do that today. Oh, 100%. Like, we, we've seen love taps that have got four weeks, like, with, with the greatest respects, of course, but... A different game now, mate. Before before I go, um, I just want to hit you with a little bit of a pitch, please. So I think there's some stories out there. So everyone's got a camera now, and I think there's a second book in you. But if if possible, I want to put some ideas to you for some titles, for some things that kids <laughs> these days can look at and think that's iconic, and will grab people's attention. So let me know what you think, because if these are good, we can talk after. If not, now <laughs> well, it's worth a shot. So first of all, I want to throw Nico's wet hair. Yeah, it is. It is an interesting hairstyle that he has. Yeah, I'm assuming he does. You know, just pour the the water bottle over his head before the game. Whether it's you know he's seen a few old Bill Harrigan refereeing fixtures where he did the same thing with the same sort of hairstyle. Maybe it's for looks. Maybe there is some practicality in it. Maybe it just keeps it out of his hair so he doesn't have to you know wear an Alice band or something like we see some soccer players wearing. Very, very good point. I'll put I'll put that in the maybe pile. I've got two more. Uh, a big standout for me, Chad Townsend's blown overlap. That's more an in-joke than anything, but uh, that's all good. And, of course, Jared Croker's missed important conversion or penalty kick, which I think has taken over the rugby league world. Sorry for any Canberra fans watching on, but ha, it's hilarious. But, mate, on a serious <laughs> note, thanks so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure. I can honestly talk for another 20 minutes, half an hour. The book is out now. $29.99, Big W, and all good bookstores. Please, if you're watching, go and grab it. Is it on the Kindle as well? I'm too old for that, but a lot of kids are watching. 
Um, I'm not sure, to be honest. I would assume so, yeah. Certainly, certainly available on Amazon, so. Oh, fantastic. Well, there yeah. you go. Get it on Amazon. What You know, everyone's got a train ride in the morning. Good to read. Mate, is there anything else? Is there anywhere else we can catch stuff that you've produced in the past or perhaps something into the future? Uh, well, this is uh, the second book I've written for this publisher, Gelding Street. Uh, the first one came out around the same time last year, and that was called Biff, which was the stories behind sort of iconic rugby league fights. So that included everything from, you know, the Battle of Brookvale in more recently um, to uh, it was Lanshow Higher and I want to say Robbie Flower in England where the, it was the Challenge Cup finally was lying on the ground, yep, and just clocked him. And even, you know, obviously to West, West Manly, you know, in 78. So, and yeah, so there's about probably 20, 25 stories of, of Biff. So that one, that one should still be available in bookstores as well. It'll probably be sitting right next to this one when you go into the bookstore. Fantastic. All in one, mate. Thanks again so much for, for jumping on and having a chat and uh, humouring me with a few laughs. It was uh, no problem. an absolute pleasure. I look forward to reading the book. Uh, I might send it back to you to get a sneaky little signature, but, uh, you know, we, we'll see how it goes. Absolutely. All, all, always love signing my books. Always love it. Thank you so much. Thanks a lot. Man. What an interview that was. Mate, I don't know who was the star of that, you or Glenn. Hey, but, look, uh, I'll take a 50-50, mate. <laughs> I'm really looking forward to reading the book now. Make sure you get out to all the retailers and grab it. So, yeah, Jack Gibson's fur coat. Glenn Humphries, it's $29.99 on sale now. Big W, I saw it today. I'm getting my copy autographed, so it'll be worth triple that. But, uh, yeah, make sure you get out all the good bookstores now. Now, Terry, I can see it in your eyes that, you know... You're a happy man, generally, except when I mention one thing, rugby What's league that? touch judges. Yeah, Simbin this I'm, week. It's your Simbin, mate. I'm going to sit back. I'm going to enjoy. Simbin this week, the touch judges, right? Is there a more redundant job in the world than a rugby league touch judge? Now, I've asked this question before and some people have, you know, Come back with some really handy calls saying, don't forget Ben Simmons wears a shooting sleeve. How redundant is that? These guys stand on the field. They have the view of the best game in the world. They have two jobs. One is to make sure that you aren't offside. Oh, sorry, three jobs. Second one is to make sure you don't go into touch. And the third one is to rule on a forward pass. Now, some passes see, see a Sifatalakai to Mawini Hirodi on the weekend. On camera angles, certain camera angles look like forward passes. And when you see them lined up and you actually see the player reaching back for the ball, but they've just overrun it, fair enough. But how? How Jack Whiten's pass in 2023 can still beat an official and two touch judges? And, like, it was a, it, it was a borderline penalty it was that forward. And the bloke was standing there, and I don't know i don't know the touch judge. I, I don't even know his name, but I understand that he's a touch judge in Cronulla's game on Friday night, so that would be interesting. I hope we sign Tom Brady for a 10-day contract. But I don't know if he was scared to make the call because it was a crucial point in the game or if he blinked and missed it. But it was bad. And it wasn't just – it was so bad that Graham Annesley actually had to come out and say, you know what, we got that wrong. Well, duh. 
Everyone knew you got that wrong. Everyone except that touch judge knew that you got it wrong. And again, what justice does that do for the West Tigers? You've again come out and said another officiating decision has cost you a game of rugby league. And now people are saying, well, why can't the bunker intervene on this? Okay, I get that. And they're saying, well, how far back do you go? No, no, no. If a forward pass is missed on tackle three, but you score on tackle five, you can't go back to that. But that play there, Jack Whiten literally threw the ball forward, Sebastian Chris picked it up and scored. Why can't the why can't the bunker intervene on that? And I know you saying oh camera angles and lines. You don't need a camera angle for that. You don't need a line for that. Like my blind dog saw how far forward that was. It was atrocious. It's a redundant job now. It could probably be done by a laser. Like chat GPT is coming in here and taking over the AI world and you can ask it questions. Let's just get some lasers on the field. Do it like the the VAR. If the ball goes over the sideline, the ref's watch vibrates. Uh, Yep, you're in touch. If the ball gets thrown that far forward again, it vibrates. Hand the ball back over. That was shocking. And I mean, an apology doesn't cut how bad that was but something needs to change. This is the worst year of officiating. I said it last week. And it's funny how a week later, I'm sitting here saying it didn't get better. It got worse. And that's the same thing this week. All right, welcome to the set restart here, ladies and gentlemen. We talk about some uh, some things that have happened. I've already alluded to one of them, but I know you're itching for this one, Dan. So over to you. The first one, Gray Mannersley, let it out. These Monday morning or Monday midday briefings, whatever they may be, where Graham Annesley comes out and says, this was wrong, this was wrong, this was wrong. These are the teams that were robbed points. Yeah, well, we'll see you next week. I'm here to argue, Terry, that they're more harmful than they are good. Now, I know I've been on about all week about them taking ownership of errors, and I don't believe publicly shaming referees is a good way to do it. I think it just gets you back up. You pull them into a you know, a video and say, you got this, this, and this wrong. You don't go out in front and say, oh, look, Tigers fans, you should have won, but, you know, now we'll we'll learn from it because they don't. It's proven that they don't. And then all the Tigers fans get on and blow up, as they should, because they've been told by the referee's boss that they would have won if this, this, and this didn't go against them. Now, it also makes the other team, you think, oh, geez, we got one there. Now, a win's a win, and I, I don't feel bad if we get a refereeing decision. At the time, you're like, oh, God, I'd, I'd prefer to win it. A couple of days later, who cares? It's two points in the bank. But him coming out and saying that, just it gets both sets of fans upset. The referees go out the next week. Flips like you and I are going to sit there on Friday night and go, oh, you got that one wrong. Oh, you know, see you on Monday morning. What's the point of this? Other than to quell a few angry fans? If you're not going to fix it, don't worry about those angry fans. Just stop these cringe-worthy things. Because Graham Annesley comes out and you've got guys like Rugby League Mole, who, you know, is, is a mate of ours, who says, oh, no, I think Annesley got it wrong. Okay, you can't do that because the referee's boss who adjudicates these is saying this was the decision that should have been made. So it just starts the debate again. It does nothing but negative. I don't know why they bother. And I think after the end of the season, it needs to stop. Yeah, I, I, I hear you. But I, I do think sometimes when you get a really, really... Awful call, like the Tigers' golden point 
last year. Oh, sorry, the Tigers penalty last year after the siren. I think the Clint Gutherson one, which was just really bad. And I'm just saying this because it comes to mind now. And that forward pass, something needs to be done. Now, the NBA released what they call the two-minute review at the end of every game. Now, whether it's a blowout or whether it's a tight game, they give you the two-minute report and they just give you every referee's call for the last two minutes. Now, basketball is a lot different because there's a lot of whistles and there's a lot of plays that happen and a lot gets reviewed in that game. But I think that something different from Graham Annesley in terms of just a paper report where it comes out and says, on Friday night, these were all the calls. It was correct. It was incorrect. This call should have been made. This captain's challenge, although it was overturned, shouldn't have been overturned, right? So I think that would do more, uh, you know, that, that that would be better off than him standing in front, reviewing a couple of decisions and then taking questions. Just just give us a report on every game, you know, because there's, there's not that many whistles in rugby league unless you get that game at Shark Park where Matt Checkin blew 100 penalties and bin Cam Smith, and I'd love to read the report on that. So maybe just give us a report. Uh, the next one, Dan, we've got here is Corey Hawes brought 2023's breakout star? I'll say no. I'm going to say yes, mainly because I wrote this in the preamble. <laughs> so sorry to burst the bubble, break the fourth wall. But this is a bloke who, prior to this season, and I say this with the greatest respect, was a meme footballer. This is a bloke that when a decision went, you went to the infamous photo of him flipping off the fans or him crying as he was sent to the sim bin or sent off, whatever it is. Now you look at Corey Horsburgh, and he's big red. He's the superstar, you know, lock forward, tear away middle forward, who debuted for Queensland, and he's talking about a $2.4 million extension, I believe, over three or four years. We're talking huge money, and money that if this time last year you said he'd be on, I would have called you crazy. This is a guy who is now a mean footballer for, oh, my God, he's big red and we love him. I don't think anyone's ever turned their their status in the game around so quickly as this bloke. I think he deserves everything he's got. I know there's some probably better players that you'll mention and, and put this to shame, but I love Big Red and I just wanted to say it on camera and he deserves every cent of that massive extension. Well, after hearing that from you, I, I think it's I think it's really hard to turn that around, but I would say if we're talking about someone who's broken out and become an absolute superstar of the game this year, it's Patrick Carrigan. Now, I know you're going to turn around and go, oh, but he was the Origin Player of the Year last year. Yeah, but leaning into Origin people questioning whether he should have been selected or not. And he's taken that Origin form and he's become one of the premier middles of the game. Uh, I would lean with Pat Carrigan. I think there's I think there's some some players that have, have really, really announced themselves. Um, you know, even a guy like Bradman Best, I know he hasn't done it all year, but he's now... Up there as one of the best centers in the game. Herbie Farmworth has probably taken over Joey Manu as the best center in the game at the moment. Not named Stephen Crichton. Um, I could also throw in a, a case for Wade Egan. But uh, if you ask me who the, the breakout star, superstar, for mine, it's Patrick Carrigan. Now, Talis Duncan has been linked with a sensational move to Rugby Union, much to yours and I's surprise. Uh, look, I've seen him a couple of times play for South Sydney. Uh, he was sensational for them, gave them a real impact off the bench against Cronulla on the weekend and could have got them back into the game and won it with that breakaway, you know, run that he, he made. Uh, for a player like him, you know, so early in his career, it would be such a shame to lose him to an inferior sport. But 
What's your take on this? Pretty much echo, mate. This is a kid who it just screams superstar potential. Like, if the Ars don't have him playing the rest of the season, then just give it up. Just say we don't understand rugby league because he is a freak in the making. He's already got this cult status. Now, I know a lot of it is to do with his name. His name's Talis, after the great Gordon Talis. He was interviewed in the preseason cup. He's a likeable guy. He's come through. He seems to be doing everything right. He comes on, busts Cronulla apart, you know, almost steals the unwinnable game in Perth. You know, on what, his fourth or fifth appearance? This kid is so he, – he's the kind of player we need to new, move heaven and earth for. Now, I don't know. It became a bit of a joke when Banker was running the game that we had this fund to you keep players away from. Now, of course, he's not the kind of player you would break the bank to re-sign. But if you're Rugby Australia, and <laughs> sorry if you are, they, they're just seeing themselves get blown out by the Kiwis once and, and a half, losing to the under-20 side. They're, they're in shambles. They need to go get some talent, and we're better than rugby league, especially players that have been a rugby background growing up in, you know, private schools in the East or whatever, you know, don't want to but the Eastern Suburbs private schools. Of course he's one that they're going to come in and go, hey, let's get him out there. I couldn't think of a bigger waste of talent than taking a wide-running back rower who can play a bit of middle and putting him in scrums and resetting him 15 times. And I don't want to turn this into an anti-rugby thing because that will be too easy and too fun, Terry. I'm above that. But honestly, these are the kinds of players that if Sias went to the NRL and said, oi, he wants 50 grand, we can't get it under the cap, the NRL should be able to see as a one-time thing, you can have it. I don't care if it opens a can of worms because I don't want rugby union getting their grubby hands on one of our future superstars. If he needs to leave South, come to Cronulla. Here's another idea for you because we always talk about the war chest that the NRL gets and their billion dollars a year or whatever. They give you the salary cap, and I understand that the NRL pay for the salary cap to the clubs in full. But why not give everyone the salary cap, the same salary cap as they apparently do, unless you're east of the Bulldogs, and then give everyone an external cap as well, a soft cap, if you will. There's an extra $300,000 that can't go to a player in full, but unless that player comes to you and says, look, you've offered me $200,000, Rugby Union have now offered me $250,000, can you match this? You go to your, your soft cap, you take fifty grand out of it, you hand that over to the player as well. And if they come back and go, oh, my offer's now 300 grand, you asked me once, it's a one-off opportunity. Should have told me to grab 100 grand out of that cap. I'll grab 50. That's all you've got. So I think there's other solutions to it other than going to the NRL. There's, you know, there's different ways. The NBA have it. The NFL have it. Um, you know, I think the A-League have a, a certain, you know, marquee player caps as well. So they, they could look into doing something like that. But, yeah, you know, a, a young superstar in the making like Talis Duncan – like, imagine for us, that would be like losing T. Wilton to Rugby Union. Terrible. I'd absolutely hate it. Can't happen. Just lastly, Dan, Luke Thompson, Mitchell Pierce looking for uh, lifelines in the NRL. Now, Mitchell Pierce has come out when uh, Newcastle West and the Dogs were interested in him this year and said, no, I'm going to set up my contract at Catalans. Um, there was the rumour that Matt Moylan was going to go there. Mitch Pierce actually spoke about that to the French media and said, you know, a combination with myself and Matt would probably be really good over here. Then he's probably thought about it and said, you know, if Moyes is actually coming here, probably need to get out of town. No, I'm kidding there. Uh, I, I'll call that smoke from his agent to try and get his last year at France bumped up. Um, and there are, there are reasons for that. The French, the way that the French pay you 
if you're a, if you're a sports person, uh, if you go, you know, if, if Pierce signs an extension with the Catalans Dragons and then goes and plays a year at Warrington and then moves back to France, he will get the contract again for another 12 months that he was on at France, whether he's playing or not. That's just what the French government do for you. That's why you see a lot of football players, when they leave France, they'll go for a year in Turkey and then they'll come back to France afterwards because they get that final contract one more time. So I think I think that's just a, a smokescreen from his agent. The Luke Thompson one, uh, look, Canterbury obviously don't have the money for him now and it was widely thought that he was going to go back to the UK to Wigan Leeds or St Helens. Some cold feet on him because of his injury history. But I also think that for Luke Thompson, he's come out here with the hype. Like he was the next Sam Burgess to come over here. And he, whilst he's had some fantastic games, he hasn't lived up to that promise. And I think that he would be looking for a cut price deal to just show that he has got it. And I really hope he's got it at Cronulla. If you have a fully fit Luke Thompson, there's probably only three or four teams in the NRL that aren't in for him. This is a player of quality, and the games he has played, unfortunately against us, have been ridiculous. He's not the biggest bloke in the world, but he's not exactly small either. This is a guy who just, he's got it all. If you design him a forward, it's Luke Thompson minus the 700 injuries. But unfortunately, I make jest, but those injuries come back when you think, okay, this is a player who's probably worth 600 grand on the open market, but you're probably only going to have him for half the time, which makes him worth 300 grand. And then you're thinking, yeah, but if he gets another injury on top of what he hasn't had yet, so you're looking about 200 grand. So this is a bloke who's going to really need to want it next year to stay here because he could go back to England and probably probably make that or a little bit more with a, with a side like Wigan or St. Helens or hopefully Wigan if it has to be, full disclosure. I'm a huge fan. And I'll, I'll, I'm on record as saying last year we should have gone and got him. Now I know he did his ACL or something. That's unlucky. The injury, he seems more unlucky than injury prone. And I, people are going to go, yeah, he's had 10 of them. They're all different. They're all, you know, impact injury, stepped on the wrong way. I think there's a team here that's going to take him. They're going to take a punt. And hopefully it is Cronulla. I can't see a single team in the NRL going for Mitch Pierce. I mean, the Tigers, we make fun. You can't tell me he's not a better prospect than Jaden Sullivan, who they've just signed from the from the Dragons, a little brother. Or the young kid they've signed from Manly. Like, why would you put Mitch Pierce in and stunt their development for a season? He's not going to take you to a premiership. He wouldn't take well, the Panthers to a premiership. They also got uh, Aiden Caesar as well, the Tigers. So I, I think I think the doors well and truly closed uh, on an NRL turn for Mitch Pierce. Like you, you've just mentioned, it. I know the Tigers are struggling at the moment, but they're not struggling in the halves for next year. Uh, the Dragons, I mean, him and Ben Hunt maybe could work. Um, I don't think the dogs need him because they would have got Toby Sexton, they got Carl Oluwapu, and you got Matt Burton. If you're going to persist with him as well in the halves, um, the Dolphins, I got Sean O'Sullivan, and that's his team. The Roosters don't need him. Maybe they do. Maybe they don't. Manly don't need him. Um, no, he's not coming. I don't back think he, there's not a top eight team that needs him. The Titans, no, maybe. I mean, the Titans have got Tanner Boyd as their halfback. Maybe a one year. I mean, Mitch Pierce and Kieran Foran. What could go wrong? Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't see a. Uh, I don't see a way that Mitch Pierce is in the NRL next year unless he's a backup. 
Um, but I'm hoping and praying that Luke Thompson is in the NRL next year just to show all that potential and talent that he does have. And as I've said, I'm quietly hoping it's a Cronulla. Now, Terry, we're going to throw to the uh, the fans, the great fans on, on Instagram, Zero Tackle, again today, our great producer off screens thrown open the questions. We've got some some questions, some hot takes, some opinions that people just want our, our thoughts on. And, you know, no one can stop us. It's our show. So, mate, please, what have we been sent? Uh, first one, uh, I'm probably going to butcher this, um, but I'm going to have a crack at it. Uh, Malachi, at Malachi Cridland. Uh, Sharks to turn it around after last week and Graham announcing his retirement. Um, yeah, look, if you want more on that, uh, just quietly jump on Rugby League Outlaws, jump on the Fins Up podcast. We'll answer this for you right now, though. Um, I don't think they were ever going to slide out of the top eight just because we've got a couple of favourable games. Uh, and I'm looking at last week as a the two points we should have got from Manly instead of South. So somewhere along those lines, we're going to pick up those two points. Um, I think our shot at the top four is gone unless we're perfect. Um, and in an ideal world, we could go perfect, but I don't think we will. Um, yeah, you're probably looking at sixth or seventh for the Sharkies, but uh, look, a win's a win and it gives us confidence. Uh, and if anything, Wade Graham's retirement could spur him on. I agree. I'd like to see us finish sixth if possible to get a home final to send out Wade Graham. Well, we get uh, one the draw. Sorry? So we get a home final at fifth as well, Dan. Yeah, uh, yeah, true. Well, fifth or sixth, but I think six is far more achievable. Uh, look, I can't see Cronulla winning the comp with Wade retiring or not, but uh, it certainly won't help in terms of the motivation. Uh, the next one from Cam Canard at Cam Canard sixteen. Ex NRL players and coaches should be in the bunker to advise on calls such as high tackles and foul play. No, they shouldn't. No, absolutely not. I disagree. The, the players are your pundits right now. They're the ones who are commentating on the games. The ex-coaches are the ones commentating on the games. On, for, I'll, give, I'll give you the example. Tom Hazleton on Sunday night was knocked out cold, right? Had a big shiner on his face. And he had Brandy Alexander, who's an ex-player and a coach, on the call saying there was no contact to the head. These players have got CTE or... They're, they're suffering from something or they're suffering from that's my mate syndrome? No, absolutely not. No players, no coaches, independent people. Independent people and not the officials either because they're useless. I was going to argue maybe you, you swayed me. I, I did like having Brent Sherwin in there. I think if you have a, a player who can prove that they can do it, I, I think it would be a positive. But independent people, mate, you've, you've solved the issue. No argument. No, no players, no coaches, no officials, independent people. Uh, at Sam, at Sam One's Bone, Warriors will make the grand final. Jeez, I hope so. Hot, I really hey. hope so. Yeah, me too. Who wouldn't, wouldn't want a Warriors grand final? A Penrith Brisbane grand final would just be the worst thing that could ever happen to the NRL. Yuck. Uh, a Penrith Warriors grand final would be really fun. Really, really fun because if the Warriors start getting blown out, you know that genuine good guys like Adam Fanua, Blake, Mitch Brown, Dylan Walker aren't going to take that line down. Um, but, yeah, no, they're, they're a lot of fun and they're probably the most entertaining team in the competition and the surprise packets. So why not? Um, can they beat Penrith, though? No. Can they beat Brisbane? Yeah, probably. 
every story needs a good guy, Terry. Mm-hmm. And in this story, the good guys are the New Zealand Warriors. So I hope they're there. Can't see it if I'm being totally honest. I think they'll burn out in the finals. I think they might replicate Cronulla of last year. I think they've probably got a better squad overall to kick on next year maybe. But, um, look, yeah, sign me up. And the final question from at the underscore barbecue underscore cowboy, where could you see Eddie Blacker from the Panthers slotting into a run-on team? Uh, Look, short answer to that, I couldn't see him starting. I could see him making – look, Eddie Blacker is a – He's a good New South Wales Cup prop. He's he's one of the best New South Wales Cup props. And you saw Lindsay Smith, who was the best New South Wales Cup prop this year, has made it all the way to um, the the Penrith interchange bench now. But someone like Eddie Blackie, he's been around for a while. He's been at St George. He's gone to Penrith. And he hasn't quite kicked on. You're probably looking at a team like the Tigers, but I don't think they need him. He could go back to St George. He's a big body and the Dragons need forwards. Um I think he'd be wasted at Canterbury, maybe the Titans, um, but you're talking about interchange benches and you're probably looking at the bottom 16. You know you know what? The Dolphins. Right now, he would walk into the Manly start on pack. Yeah, right now. Right now, mm-hmm. but if you're talking for 2024 when everyone's fit, he might make their bench. Yeah, I, I think there's a market for him and I think these are the kinds of players that teams that aren't doing real well need to invest in because you need these players that have been in good systems that have the runs on the board that aren't superstars and aren't going to cost you an arm and a leg yeah you build around them and the lindsey smiths etc then you got money to go get superstars so mate i'd be shocked if he doesn't find somewhere if he's a, he's a contract i don't know in terms of yeah, starting, though, contract, yeah. right now right now he could make two or three sides at full strength he's pushing for a bench spot um watch his space though great questions everyone sorry we didn't get to all of you but uh Keep them coming. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to the second episode of The Knock On, brought to you by Zero Tackle. Uh, Don't forget to like and subscribe everywhere you can. Uh, They're massive. The content they put out is incredible. Uh, There's new articles up every day. They've got a stack of good people who write for them, and they've also got a guy named Dan Nichols who does as well, so make sure that you, uh, you know, everything he does is quite a page turner. But, uh, Dan, what's coming out on Zero Tackle this week? Well, look, spoiler alert, and Scott may be mad at me, but too bad, Scotty. We're going to, well, I have written five potential landing spots for a certain Penrith half who may or may not test the market come November 1st. So, during the life. So, please keep an eye out for that. But, uh, look, anything that Dan Nichols writes, I've heard so much about him. But, uh, it's all good stuff. Scotty's been on fire this week. He's been on his high horse about refereeing decisions and his poor old dragons, which I absolutely live for. But, mate, just before we go, again, thanks so much for everyone tuning in. And if you're listening to us, you're really missing out on two beautiful faces. But, uh, look, I just want to throw a special thanks to Glenn Humphries again, who has come on, uh, dedicated his time. So on a press tour, and you made time for little old me, which which uh, you know, makes the heart grow fonder. Thank you so much. Um, get out, buy the book, please. 30 bucks, you know. That's it. You know, Macca's meal for do breeds. And I don't need any more Macca's meal, so I'm going to get the book tomorrow. But uh, look, mate, Terry, it's been a pleasure. It has. Keep this is the knock on, and we'll see you next week.